Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Getting off the bench, getting on the field, getting away from the sidelines. That's what this whole series is about. We're starting today. Get off the bench, and you can see it in big letters there on the wall. So great to see you today. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great uh, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. I'm, I'm terrible at New Year's Eve. I, I was asleep by 10.15. I missed the whole thing. I'm, I'm pathetic. I woke up like at 12.30 on the couch and every, the rest of the family was gone. And I'm like, all right, whatever. But I love New Year's Day. I love New Year's Day because it's just like exciting. It's a brand new year. We could do all this fun stuff. Incidentally, um, are you aware of how amazing our football team is right now, the Arizona Cardinals? Yeah. I mean, is, is our executive pastor, Dave Hurtado, who was just up here, is he aware of how amazing our football team is? This, this 49ers, lifelong 49ers season ticket holder fan forever, um, is he aware of how amazing it is? See, I have this complicated relationship with the NFL because on the one hand, it's really great to know that like the greatest team in football right now, it just plays their games right over there. I mean, not very far over there. And, and yet at the same time, I, I, well, I love it. And it's, it's awesome. To, it's a great season right now. It's also like the NFL totally messes with our church attendance, you know, and it just makes me so mad because there's times I'll show up and be nobody here. And I'm like, oh, stinking NFL. So um, if you're here and you have a jersey on, whatever it is, God bless you, except if it's Seattle. Um, <laughs> but it's an exciting time. If you were on the Arizona Cardinals, it'd be an exciting time to be a player on that team. In fact, if you could imagine yourself for a moment being a player either on the Cardinals or on any one of your favorite teams, you, you know that if you had that jersey and you'd been drafted to be on that team and you were a part of that and you had your number and everything else, you know that you would want nothing more than to be on the field, to be where the action is, to be able to have the opportunity to use your talent and your gift and what you're good at to make a difference on the field. When people, if you've dreamed about playing professional sports, maybe some of you, have, you know, are, are involved in that or had a stint in it or whatever at one time or you played college, you know that when you dreamed about playing sports, you never dreamed about being on the sidelines. You dreamed about being in the game. You dreamed about being off the bench and where the action is. And so as we kick off 2016, when it comes to, to your relationship with God, when it comes to being used by God, my, I, have, I have one message for you, and that is this. It's time to get off the bench and to realize that you are a player, to realize your job, your place is on the field. And so we want to make this year the year that you move from second string to starter to where you are actually a huge part of the action because you've got the jersey, you're on the team, you've been redeemed by God, you've been forgiven, and now it's time to play. I'll pump you up with a little uh, tweetable line here that you want to like, you can tweet this or Facebook or whatever, but God did not save you to put you on the sidelines. 
God did not save you so that you could just progressively get a little bit better throughout the course of your life until you die and just color inside the lines and make sure you don't have any rough edges. God did not save you to calm you down. God rescued you and redeemed you to ignite you so that you could go and do amazingly good works. Not necessarily works that, the, that are super popular, the whole world needs to know about or celebrate. That's the vast majority of people, that's not the case. But work that is incredibly good, incredibly fulfilling, where you go, I am in the zone, I'm on the team, and I've been, I am being used by God the way God made me to do stuff I never thought I would be able to do. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to dive into the call of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. So the book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament, and it's a big book of the Old Testament. And in chapter 6, we're going to learn about Isaiah, who lived in the 700s B.C., so a long time ago. But Isaiah had perhaps one of the most amazing encounters with God that anyone has ever had in human history. And it's out of that encounter that he realizes that it's time for him to get off the sidelines, to get off the bench, and to be able to get in the game. Because God asks him, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Pick me. Pick me. He wants to go so bad. And it's that passion and that desire and that willingness that I want to jump into and talk to you about today. And as I do this, I want to answer one question, just one question. And the question is this, how do I get off the bench? How do I begin to move to where I say, I'm not just going to see the Christian life as, okay, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, but man, I am pumped up. I am fired up about being used by God in ways I never thought possible in my life so I can actually get in the game. So I'm going to give you four ways we get off the bench right out of this passage. And the first one is this. We've got to be people who seize the God-ordained moment. You see, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, it starts off by saying this. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now we just stop right there because that's significant. Because King Uzziah was a bad guy. He was not a good king. He was a bad king. And he prevented um, God's purposes from being accomplished for Israel the way they should have been. And so when he, when he finally died, that was a signal that God was on the move and things were about to change. One of the things that I love about New Year's Day is even though it's kind of an arbitrary, you know, kind of a marking on our calendar and it's just kind of the way that we do things and it's, it's kind of fun, but I, I love the fact that even though we still have all the things left over from last year and we still have responsibilities and issues and consequences from things that we did a year ago or whatever still following us, there is kind of a break in the, in the pattern here. So you can look at 2015 as, as one encapsulated chunk of time and, and it, there's a theme there and then you can move on and kind of start fresh. And I, love, I love things that we can do to, to kind of program in freshness. And there's times that God allows things to be able to happen environmentally, and you and I need to be aware of those things. What is God doing behind the scenes in your life? See, there's things that we can control. There's things that we have a, a degree of control on, but there's a lot of things, most things that we don't have any control of, and they affect our lives. So the key is, God, what are you up to? How are you moving? And 
what might you be up to in my life right now? Because I think sometimes we think that God just kind of hangs out and waits for stuff to happen, but God is always in the move. So when King Uzziah died, that's a signal. Something big is about to happen. But even something I said as remote as New Year's is kind of a cool thing. You know, my wife, we were talking about this, and she said, Tim, she said, 2015 was kind of a hard year for me. And she had two foot surgeries. Um, she had to bury two of her friends. Um, one, she lost to cancer. Um, the other, just a tragic um, thing that she's way too young, should never have happened, and just a tragic set of circumstances, but painful. And she says, Tim, it's a painful year for me. I'm excited about 2016 being a better year. And I love that because maybe even something as insignificant as the calendar can be something where you go, man, God, what are you up to this year? Start asking him, what are you up to? Don't just expect the same thing, but expect God to be on the move. And that leads me to the second thing, and that is this. Stand in awe of the majesty of God. Isaiah is about to have the most amazing experience you could have to get up close and personal and see the glory of God. And, it, and it's described this way. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And there's so much theology in that little sentence, by the way. And it's hard for us to understand because we didn't come from that culture. But in the Ark of the Covenant, the thing they carried around that was supposed to contain the presence of God, they had these things on top of the Ark, and right in the middle of them, I know they were like little artistic figures, and in the middle was supposed to kind of represent the glory of God. And, and Isaiah's coming in going, guys, no, 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 no. I saw God, and he wasn't contained in the Ark. I saw him high and lifted up, seated on the throne. He's like... He's, he's insurmountable. You can't just contain him. And the train of his robe filled the whole temple. And the imagery there is that God is so incredibly vast and huge and wild. And it continues, verse 2, And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now what's going on here? It's not about Isaiah. It's about Isaiah's God. It's about the God that he encounters right there. Everything with the call of Isaiah, with him getting off the bench, with him finding exactly how he is supposed to, to live and what he is supposed to do, does not begin with some kind of idea that he has. It begins with, it, with an amazing encounter with the living and true God. You see, these creatures called seraphim, they're angelic creatures, and the word seraphim in the Hebrew simply means burning. These creatures are, are so enraptured by the glory of God that they have six wings, and, and with the wings they cover their faces and they cover their feet and then they fly. And so the covering of the feet, some say the symbolism is there is a, so they could uh, be used for service to God. And they're like in the presence, they're in the service of God. So I, I won't do anything unless you tell me to do it. And the covering the face is the idea of, this, of the glory of God being so bright and so powerful that you can't even look at him directly. It's kind of like, you know, we cut all these trees down, and earlier this morning when the sun was literally low in the sky and it was bouncing off the concrete, I walked out in the lobby and I was like, whoa, you can't even, like, look at it because it's so bright. Have you ever had that experience where things are just so bright and they just catch your eyes and you have to cover your face? And the brightness and beauty of God is so great that not even these angels can, 
can, can, can stand it. And so with the other two wings, they're flying around, and they're flying around just simply in wonder and in awe, fiery, burning passion. And all they can do is say, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. Now, by the way, whenever you see this, if you were to read this in, you know, your devotional time and, and whatever, you're reading the Bible and you're reading through Isaiah, and you come to this part, it'd be very easy for us, especially if we were to just read this in unison. If I were to say, okay, everybody, we're going to read this together. Holy, holy, holy is uh, the Lord of hosts. And if we were to read that, I guarantee you it would sound really boring. Because when people read in unison, they usually read kind of like mantra, like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> that is not the way it should be read. That's not the way it should be understood. These seraphim are in the presence of God. And all they can do is choose to be completely blown away. There's, there's, there's no mountain, there's no river, there's no star, there's, no, there's nothing in all of creation that can compare to the beauty and majesty of God. And so all they can do is talk about it. I remember two years ago when I went to my um, Air Force basic training officer school, and I was gone for five weeks. And that time, that five weeks, was the longest that I had ever been away from Judy, from my wife. And so I remember that when I was there, you know, and they're like marching you around and, you know, calling you names and making life difficult for you and doing all this stuff. And then you don't get much sleep and it's just, you know, all this craziness. And so as we get towards the end, as I'm finding out the schedule, I'm finding out that I didn't know this, that at the end of the, of the training, there's a, there's a big celebration, like a big ball, you know, this big formal event. And you can invite your spouse or your significant other. And I'm thinking, man, there would be nothing cooler than to have Judy come out for this. So I, I, had, I flew her out to Montgomery, Alabama, to where she could meet me. And so, of course, I'm staying on the base and the housing there. And, and so she was in this hotel. So the night of the event, um, you know, I had to go pick her up from the hotel. And then the event was right across the street from the hotel. And I'll never forget, because, I mean, I had not seen her in five weeks and so I go up to the room, and I'm like all excited, and I knock on the door, and she opens the door, and when she opens the door, there she is in this long, black, formal dress, and her hair is all like perfect, and everything looks perfect. I look at her, I'm like, oh, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> the whole hotel is filled with her glory. Because I hadn't seen her or anything even remotely like her in five weeks. And I was like, I almost like fall on the ground. And it was would have been bad because it was one of those embassy suite hotels with a big atrium in the middle. So you could literally fall over the railing and die right there. And I was like, oh, this is so great. And I'll, I'll spare you the other stuff that happened after that. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, but, 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 but like, is, is that kind of a thing? It's that kind of a thing. Can I ask you, have you encountered the majesty of God in your life? Or is he just kind of boring? Gosh, we do such a great job as human beings of making God so distant and boring. That's why our hearts run after other things. We were made to experience excitement. We were made to be captivated by things. 
Have the glory of God, the splendor of God, the majesty and beauty and mystery and vastness ever left you just speechless? And I think about God and I go, God, man, that's so amazing. I mean, like you made me, like I have eyes and ears and, and, and I can speak and I can, I can talk, I can relate to people, I can hear things, I can taste things, I can touch things. God, like you invented all of that and you invented all the elements that, that make that happen. And, and I'm just one person of billions. I'm just, I, and you are more. You are three in one. You have a dimensionality I can't even ever get near. You are infinite. You are even far beyond anything my small mind can understand. It's amazing that you would, you would invent all of this. Everything you see, you, you came up with it out of nothing. Ex nihilo. It's beautiful. God, who are you? This is so cool that you would have done this. Now, by the way, whenever people in Scripture seem to have an encounter with God, they have a similar reaction to what Isaiah has in this next verse. Because he sees all of this, and what is his reaction? He says, I said, woe is me. That means I am a pathetic loser, is basically what it means. Why? For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King. The Lord of hosts. This is a very common reaction to seeing the presence of God. Because when you see the presence of God, it's like, it's like driving your, your little old Pinto, if you remember what those cars were like. And all of a sudden, a Ferrari drives up next to it. And you thought your Pinto wasn't so bad until the Ferrari pulled up. And you're like, man, my car is terrible. Woe is me. Because immediately when he sees the glory of God, he realizes his own sinfulness. Because in comparison, and, he, and he, it's like, almost like he couldn't realize the depth of his own, his own um, emptiness, his own sinfulness, his own deficiency until he saw how amazing God actually was. And specifically, he identifies his mouth. He says, God, I... In your presence, I realize how shameful I am, and I'm a man of unclean lips. And whether or not he just, you know, was a guy that spoke and said vicious and awful things, but he said he lived among a people who spoke vicious and awful things, that their mouths were unclean. This, by the way, is a common reaction. You see it, like in the book of Job, Job chapter 42, after this whole thing happens at the end of the story when Job encounters God and, and, Job, and God corrects Job and Job comes to this realization in verse 5. He says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When Peter is with the disciples, and they're in the boat, and they throw the net over, not catching any fish. And Jesus says, you know, I bet if you guys throw the net over to the other side, you'd catch a lot more fish that way. And they're like, I had nothing better to do. So they throw the net over to that side, and they have so many fish in the net, they can hardly pull it up. They're like, throwing it in. And Peter, when he realizes that, he says, there's something about this guy that is holy, that is of God. And, and that's why he says, it says in, in Luke 5, 8, it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's something about being in the presence of God that convicts you and says, God, man, God, you are so holy, I am so not. This is so important, by the way, because, you guys, in a culture that, that loves to say, I am a good person. That loves to say, don't you see the goodness in me? That loves to, to make excuses and say, I'm a victim. I'm not what I did. In a culture that loves to excuse itself. It is a harrowing and 
horrifying thing to consider that someone will go through their entire life of 70, 80, 90 plus years content in their own goodness only to have an encounter someday as we all will as Isaiah did with the majesty of God and realize for the first time that they couldn't have been more wrong. They couldn't have been more wrong. And that's why, my friends, the idea of I'm a good person, that's why it's so toxic and so dangerous. It's not that, it's not that we aren't, you know, people that, that, of course, God redeems, but this idea that somehow I deserve this because I am good and, and God just kind of helps me along. No, no, no. See, look what happens next. What we got to do is we, we were blown away by the majesty of God, and that majesty of God caused us to go, God, I'm in need. I'm nothing compared to you. And then this is a, a number three. We rediscover then God's overwhelming grace. And I love that word overwhelming because I have a friend who uh, has a ministry called Overwhelmed by Grace. And his name is Gus Best. He's the coolest guy. And uh, he's a, he used to be a sniper in Vietnam. He's just like, he's a wild man, you know. And, and he's like, he'll, every time you talk to him, he's like, He's like, I'm overwhelmed by God's grace, you know. And he gets this, doesn't God's grace just blow your hair back? That's how he talks. And he's just fine. I just love being around people like that. They're just full of fire, you know. And, and, and so he always fires me up. He's one of the few guys that I believe truly has this gift of exhortation where you get around that guy and you feel like you've been around the Holy Spirit. It's crazy. But, but, but he's just, he loves that word overwhelms. like, God's grace overwhelms me. And this is what happens to Isaiah in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. It's like this heavenly little barbecue. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now notice it doesn't say that Isaiah, atoned, Isaiah saved himself. Or that Isaiah realized, oh, you know what? Yeah, you know, I'm no good and I'm just going to clean things up. No, Isaiah was in a place where he was utterly able to do anything but just recognize his own sin. And it was at that moment that the seraphim came and said, your sin has been taken away. Why? Because that's what God does. God loves saving people. God loves redeeming people. God loves cleansing people from their sin. He loves it. But he's the one that does it. I love this line. I just read this from a friend of mine on Facebook. Um, pastor friend of mine from um, R.C. Sprawl. He says, God doesn't just throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him up on the bank, breathes into him the breath of life, and makes him alive. And that's, that imagery is so important because it's not just that God just gave you a hand up like you were almost there and he just assisted you. No. Isaiah knew he was dead in his sin. Think, man, I'd be lost without him. Now, by the way, what's amazing about this, this is, what, this is where it gets really good. Because he's overwhelmed by grace. And here's what happens. Here's the, here's the extent of God's grace. It's not just that he, remember, he didn't just save you to seat you on the sidelines. Notice what Isaiah's big problem was. His mouth. What is God calling him to do? Be a prophet. What do prophets do? They talk. They speak on behalf of God. They carry the word of God. And God takes a potty mouth guy and says, you are going to speak for me. Why? 
Because that's what God loves to do. He loves to redeem people and then use the very thing he saved them from for his glory. In fact, here's another thing that you can tweet. I'm just into that today for some reason. God uses us most powerfully in the areas of our deepest pain or failure. See, if you're wondering, like, how could God ever use me? What would God ever want with me? What, what, what good am I for? Go back to the thing that you struggle with the most. The biggest sin or failure or disappointment or, er- or area of grief in your life. And start there. And start there. You know, like, we teach the uh, financial peace class here, with Dave, Dave Ramsey. You know, the guy's like, you know, obviously he's made a lot of money teaching people how to make money, which is good. And, and you know, he's got a radio show. And he's done really well. Big, huge ministry. But he'll tell you, he'll be the first one to tell you, how did he start all that? Because he's he ruined himself financially. He's a total failure in his finances, lost everything. And out of that, he realized that money can't be a God. Money can't destroy me. Money's not going to, so out of that very thing he was saved from, he began to have a ministry with other people. That's pretty cool. Many people who have struggled with, well, let's say like a lot of young men who, who grew up in, with, in, in, like the pain of a fatherless home or whatever else. Maybe, maybe that's caused them to, to, to do some very, make a lot of bad choices with women or whatever else. And then when God finds them and redeems them, they end up turning around and they become mentors to other young men. They teach them how to not be like that. A lot of young women who went through years of abuse, maybe the, the thing that, 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 that they, get, they get saved from, from the, the, the pain of all that, and they get redeemed, they get told that this, you're a child of God and and what was done to you was awful and evil, but they go, God, what, what, can I, what can I do? And so many women have come alongside other women who have been abused. Those women themselves, the only reason they do that is because they have a passion for it because they themselves went through that. Start with your deepest place of pain or, or whatever your deepest sin might be, the thing you're struggling with the most. And that might be the place where God wants to use you the most. It often is. It often is. Finally, number four, simply say to God, here I am. Here I am, send me. Send me. Verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? That's a little Trinitarian prelude, by the way, that plural. It's not just a plural of royalty, but it's like a plural like God is vast and is huge and he's, he's not like us. And there's a little pre precursor to the Trinity in that, that pluralistic tense there. Then I said, here I am. Pick me, pick me. Send me, put me in. I'm ready to go. Come on. Isaiah's time had come. It was time for him to get off the bench. By the way, this year for us at Compass Church is a huge year. This is a year we're opening up our new expansion that we've been building for a while. We, um, we're going to be starting Saturday night services here. And we're planting a church. And uh, some of you guys may even be part of that church plant. Why do we plant churches here? Because we believe that um, God wants us to multiply. So we just, we just start church. We don't care where they started. We, we don't care. We just, we just want to see God do new works and start new things because the energy of that is amazing. And so we're excited about that. We support that. We, we invest in that. And it's going to be so cool. But if we're going to do this, guys, I'm telling you, because I, I talked about it with our staff. I'm like, you know what? There's times that I feel like maybe, you know, let's just be a little bit, not, not too cautious, but let's, let's make sure that we're not getting out ahead of God, right? There's times, right? 
this is one of those years where I feel like God's going, you know what, guys? Swing for the fences, man. Just go for it. Swing for the fences. Hit hard this year. We're like, okay, we're going to hit hard. You know what that means? That means we're all in, guys. That means if, if you're saved, that means you got a jersey. And we've got to clear these benches. Because everybody's in. Everybody's in. We, we, we need every single person here, whether you think you can be used by God or not. We're going to take a lot of risks. What are we asking you to do? We're asking you to see. We're asking you to hear this message and go, yeah, God, God's doing stuff. God's, God's doing things outside of, you know, anything I can control. The, the, the time, that sees the moment, sees the moment. I, I, come into, I come into contact with the, the majesty and beauty of God. I rediscover his grace and I just say, here I am. Here I am, send me. Here I am. You know, oftentimes people will stay on the bench because they believe there's not a place for them on the field. Oh, you know, ministry, getting involved with the church, that, that's just, that's not, that's not for me. That's like, that's for holy people. That's for people who don't have the problems I have. That's for people who don't have the issues I have. No, it's nothing to do with that at all. You see, I got to tell you, even myself, I, I'm, I'm the last one to call myself perfect, right? Believe me, I am the furthest thing from perfect. Just ask the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff who pulled me over this morning on the way to church. Because I was going fast down a road that a lot of people go fast down. But I got caught. And uh, so when he asked me where I was going, I said, I'm going to church. He didn't ask, I didn't volunteer, but once I got my ticket, I told him it will make a good illustration because I'm the pastor of the church. <laughs> Can always undo it. But uh, no, it was fine, and I, I told him I earned it, and I told him to stay safe out there and all that stuff that will represent us well in the midst of a small criminal violation. I am not perfect. I wanted to see how fast my little matrix could go on Sunday morning. And I got caught with my daughter in the car, so now she knows. I say that because um, I'm just a normal dude like the rest of us, okay? I'm not perfect, but for some reason God decided to choose me. There are people in my life who would think it's funny, who knew me in high school, who think it would be funny that I'd be a pastor. Now, you may not be all that surprised because I did try to live a Christian life, but I was kind of a hooligan at the same time. I was always getting into trouble. And for some reason, God's just like, you know, this guy's got a lot of energy. He's kind of squirrely. He's a little misguided. And he's got a big mouth. Um, maybe we can use him, you know. And, and that's, what, that's what God did with me. And, uh, but I will tell you, um, and I, you know, I shared this last service, but uh, if I begin to think, what I would have become without Jesus. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine. Because I know this. I know this. But please, please, anything, anything good you see in me comes from him. Anything. Just know that. So because of that, the best way that we 
get off the bench is we take responsibility for somebody else's life, for somebody else's. It's like the best way to learn something is to teach it. The best way to be held accountable to something is to be the one to say, look at me, watch me do this. And that's what a lot of you are ready for. A lot of you are ready for. You've been coming here for a while and you've been hanging out. And it's no, I'm not, there's no shame in that. But God's got so much more for you. And you know why? Because it's not you. I don't care about your past. Nobody cares about your past. We're all, we're all stupid sinners. We get it, okay? So just get over yourself. Get, be about Jesus because remember, it's the power of God working in you. And it says this in Scripture. Listen to this. Listen to this in Ephesians. Now to him, to him, not to you, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now listen to this. According to the power at work within us. So according to the power at work within us. So the power at work in here. So what's happening? Jesus is working in me. It's not me. There's power. Man, you think about that. You think about the God of the universe is using you? That is amazing to think. Like, you go, but I can't do that. We know you can't do it, but God can. That's, that's to me like the ultimate adrenaline rush. When I, when I step away from things and I go, how in the world did that work? It's because you didn't do it, Jacobs. God used you. Whoa. That's crazy. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, I, I think this is true with some of us, but I'll tell you, it's true for me. If I thought that God wanted me to be on the bench, I don't think I would have wanted to become a Christian. That's what makes me so sad about people who think that God just wants you to, to be good, nice little good Christian that goes to church and writes your little check and just kind of sits there and, and doesn't do anything like awesome for Jesus because you think you're not called. If you are saved, you have a jersey. If you have a jersey, your place is not on the bench. So I want to tell you, how does that shake out? We're going to have to figure it out. That's what this whole series is about. We're going to have to figure it out. But I'm telling you, God's calling you to do something. And, and there's not, some of you are like, yeah, I'm already off the bench. I get that. I'm off the bench too. But I can use this series to say, God, how do I up my game? How do I become better? How do I become a better player than I've been? Because I, I have room to improve too. So this is awesome. So I encounter the majesty of God and I go, whoa. God, thank you for your grace. Because I need grace compared to you and to say, see your beauty and your majesty. And then wow, God, you saved me, not to bench me, but to put me on the field. So today, maybe for some of us, this is your opportunity to say, I want to join this movement. I want to be a player too, but you're not even on the team yet. This is, you can get on the team by just simply saying, God, I, I want to encounter your majesty. I realize my own sin. And he can save you the same way he rescued Isaiah. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, the more sinful you are, the more beautiful story that it is. Because the greater and more vast the God, that you can see the evidence of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, you, um, we, we can't even begin to describe you. We just, we have words, but they just fail. It'd be like trying to explain some object that was invented in the future to, to us now. We don't have the language for it. We can only just make metaphors, imagery, but we can't capture it. God, may we live in 2016 just in awe of you. In awe of your glory and your splendor and your majesty. I pray for those in here today where today needs to be the day of grace for them. 
Like they can just tell you openly, God, I've got a, I got a bad mouth. I got a bad heart. I got a bad mind. Like I don't know if there's anything good in me, and I know I'm not ready to stand before you. Especially if you're the way that Isaiah described. I can't stand before you. I pray that if there's anyone in here right now that's going to get right where they are, they would just say, God, that's me, and I need to be cleansed from my sin. I need to walk away today, and I need to join you. God, fill me with new life. Drag me out of the, from the bottom of the lake and put me on the bank and breathe new life into me. I believe in Jesus. I believe I've been redeemed. I believe that my sin's been paid. God, may we be people who just want to live as we've been made to live, following you. In your holy name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info, and we'll see you next time.